And welcome. This is the What If I Told You podcast. A show where we tell stories and drink the blood of our enemies. Yes, we do. That's what we're having this morning, actually. Iced. Of course. I'm not a degent. I'm not going to drink warm blood. No. Sip through lid. Oh my god, a little bit of throat just came right in the back of my throat. <laughs> oh, there's a... Dude. It's like a nice iced V8. <laughs> Listen. On YouTube, I follow this Canadian dietitian. Her name is Abby Sharp. She's great. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. But she often will review, like influencers what i eat in a day videos and critique critique them based on like the rhetoric they talk about she's very anti-diet culture mm-hmm. and because uh, she specializes she's a registered dietitian who specializes in um like eating eating disorders because she also had an eating disorder when she was young so that's what she's looking for red flags that could potentially spur people to be more disordered eating whatever i love her she's great um, but she reviewed this one dude who's on YouTube. I don't remember his name, but he exclusively like ate raw meat. No, thank you. It just showed him drinking like a bag of blood. And I was, I was watching her review this and I was just like, <laughs> I really almost threw up watching it. How? I was how is he not getting sick all the time? I don't know. I just really feel like the human, like the current human body isn't really like supposed to be consuming that much raw meat. Yeah. And I, I don't believe we're supposed to just be sitting here drinking bags of blood. We're not fucking Vikings. Yeah. Like unless you're pagan and sacrificing something to Odin, you have no business drinking blood. Exactly. Exactly. Please get over yourself. Oh my god, it was horrifying. <laughs> I was... I have... I just keep thinking about it now. It probably <laughs> wasn't even real blood. It's probably a nice tomato juice. Probably. Nice and, and just, thick. He just put, like, chunks of carrot in there to make you think that there was shit... Fl- there was, like, floaties. Oh god, oh my... I can't. You're done. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. You're done. It was so bad. It was so bad. Um, so yeah, welcome to the podcast. Um, just starting off really nice. I hope you're listening while eating (laughs) or drinking your breakfast smoothie on the way to work. Um, and you get a really nice little chunk of strawberry down your throat. Oof. Mm. So have a great Monday. Yeah. Per usual, check out all of our social channels, please. TikTok, Instagram, the Facebook is happening again. By default. And we also still have an email address that is open 24-7-365. That's right. Working overtime. What if I told you podcasts at gmail.com? As always. We already told you about our breakfast nook. It's blood. (laughs) That's right. This is like a brunch blood. Yeah. It's seasoned properly. Yeah. And uh, we have no chips corner. Yep. He... By no fault of his own. He hasn't listened to the last episode yet because it was just recorded. Literally one minute ago. It hasn't come out yet. That's right. So last week, we talked about some green kids that were supposedly discovered in some village. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were uh, aliens and we all know it. One died. One was a whore, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That's we, amazing. We've moved on from that. I hope you all have formed an opinion. So, yeah, that's where we're at. That's what's up. So this week, we're going to frustrate you a little bit. Yeah. With a good old disappearance missing persons episode. Probably my deep down my favorites. It's, we love missing people. Uh, (laughs) Not, we're not, okay, I said that wrong. Yeah. Um, Unsolved missing people person missing person cases missing person cases are very interesting to us yeah those are my favorite to listen to someone talk about yes um we don't want it to happen 
Yeah, we don't want... We, we are not out here actively trying to get people to go missing. <laughs> you know what I meant by that. All of you know exactly mm-hmm. what I meant mm-hmm. by that. Mm-hmm. And his name is Brian Schaefer. Brian Schaefer. You can start. Okay. So <clears throat> we're going to start with who Brian is or was. We don't actually know. That's a little dark. Yeah, it's dark. So Brian was born February 25th, 1979 to Randy and Renee Schaefer. He grew up in Pickerington, Ohio. This is a suburb of Columbus, Ohio. I don't know anything about Ohio. So I don't know. I always like forget which one is Ohio on the map. Yeah, it's kind of like a like a Vermont situation. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mix up Ohio and the one of the ones next to it. Iowa. No, no Iowa's above us. Indiana. I think it's Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio. Ohio is that far over there? Yeah. No way. It is. Shit, dude. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's that far over there. Because when you drive to the East Coast, you drive through the tail end of Illinois, and then Indiana, and then Kentucky rises up, and you drive through the top of Kentucky, but you miss Ohio. I believe you. I just have to get a visual. Yeah. Because I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) We're geography scholars. Yeah. You just don't. Yeah. Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't belong over there, but we'll discuss that another time. Yeah. <laughs> Ohio! Um, anyway, so Pickerington is a suburb of Columbus. He graduated high school in 1997 and then attended Ohio State, where he got his bachelor's in microbiology. Cool. I really, biology is super interesting to me, but I never took it in college because I was too busy doing other things. Like taking old English, a dead language (laughs) nobody speaks anymore. Super useful. Brian began medical school in 2004, again at Ohio State, and while he was in medical school, he met Alexis Wagner, and they began dating. Alexis was a fellow medical student at OSU. Alexis, along with the couple's friends and family, believed that Brian was going to propose to her during their spring break trip. They had planned to Miami in April of 2006, so this was a very serious relationship. Um... In March of 2006, so just before that spring break, during Brian's second year of medical school, his mother passed away of myelodysplasia. Myelodysplasia? I don't know. It is a type of cancer that prevents the blood cells in the bone marrow from maturing. So it's like a bone cancer. Bone marrow cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and while most of Brian's friends and family thought he was holding it to handling her death okay, it was pretty clear that it was hard for him. Obviously, that should go without saying. Yeah. The death of your mother was hard. Um, it's the worst, actually. You know, whatever. It doesn't ever really go away and gets worse over time actually like in some ways it gets worse over time it's easier and harder if that makes any sense i think it makes sense yeah it it yeah it just it does you get used to them not being there anymore but then there's the thought of how would this be different Right. If they were still here. Like, I often think about that at Christmas and Thanksgiving because Angel was, like, one of the best cooks ever. Mm -hmm. And I would often 
almost every year I think about that. Well, of course. I thought about it a lot when I graduated college. Because obviously she wasn't there. So right. it was like crazy. But yeah. Um, you know, it's hard. But anyway, uh, I put in the story of the dickhole who tried to console me after Angel died and I got back, I went back to work. I took, I don't know, I like, took like two weeks off of work or whatever. And one of the bailiffs was like, well, at least it wasn't your real mom. I was like, huh? Who has that thought? And then who says that thought out loud? Yeah. I was just like. To that person. Yeah. Two weeks after it happened. No. Absolutely not. I was like, yo. The fuck you mean? At least it wasn't your real mom. I'm going to need you to go play in traffic for a while. Yeah. Anyway. People fucking suck. Yeah. Yeah. Now we'll talk about Brian disappearing. On Friday, March 31st of 2006... Which seems like so long ago. <laughs> it does. It was. 2006. I was a j- junior. Well, no. In March of 2006, I was a sophomore. Yeah. That was 16 years ago. I was 15. Sheesh. This will be coming out, like, shortly after he disappeared. No. It will be coming before or after he disappeared. Um... Just after. Just after. Damn. Dang. So this is like an anniversary yeah. episode. This was not planned. No. We, this happened whenever we did the Gabriel Fernandez case, too. Yeah. Damn. Awkward. Awkward. Um, <clears throat> so on Friday, March 31st, 2006, OSU classes ended with spring break being the following week. To celebrate the break, Brian and his dad went to dinner that evening, and after dinner, Brian planned to meet up with a friend and hit some bars. As you do. His dad didn't think he should go, as he seemed tired from some pretty rigorous exams (laughs) he had had the prior week. I mean, he was in medical school. Right. At 9 p.m., Brian went anyway and met William Florence, a.k.a. Clint, at the Ugly Tuna Saluna. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This bar was located in the South Campus Gateway Complex on High Street in Columbus. About an hour after arriving at the Ugly Tuna, Brian called Alexis, and um, this was presumably to just check in with her. She had gone home to Toledo for a few days before the couple was set to leave for Miami. After this call, Brian and Clint continued to bar hop. They hit multiple bars like kind of working their way down to the arena district, which is probably an area that has like other venues and such. I assume so. Arenas? Sounds like it. Yeah. According to Clint, they would each do a shot at every stop, and it's hard to say how many shots this would this would be because we don't know how many stops they actually made. Yeah. This is why I'm not a fan of the bar scene. Listen, <laughs> I would be fucked. I mean, I think I could I could do maybe three. That's what I put in here was three shots, and then I would just be just <laughs> done. Done for. Completely inarticulate. <laughs> At around midnight, Brian and Clint were joined by Meredith Reed. Um, she was one of Clint's friends. And she actually ended up giving them a ride back to the Ugly Tuna for kind of a last round situation of the night. After a while, Clint and Meredith noticed that Brian had separated from them. They both tried to find him and called his cell phone repeatedly. And the bar closed at 2 a.m. And Clint and Meredith had to leave with all the other bar goers so they just waited outside of the bar for brian Mm. 
They waited for him while all the other people cleared out, and when Brian wasn't among those leaving the bar, Clint and Meredith assumed that he had just decided to head home without telling them, so they left. We can't, I mean, of course we can't, like, judge other people. They were probably, like, not in the right state of mind. They were obviously also drunk. It's not their fault. Right. But people like us, if we were doing something like that, would never allow ourselves to get separated from each other right um and if that happened we absolutely would not just assume that the other was like yeah i'm gonna head out and not say anything yeah right so i mean we would automatically assume the other person was missing or kidnapped or something terrible has happened and we would obviously start yelling at the top of our lungs through the crowd right for the other person yeah duh um, this does remind me of the Alina Assam Thunderbird story because mm-hmm. she was with her friend and then ended up walking home with the guy that they just met. Absolutely fucking not. No way. So, you know, what we said then and what we'll say now, if you co- if you arrive together, leave together. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. No one was able to get in contact with Brian for the remainder of the weekend. Yeah. Alexis, his girlfriend, and Randy, his dad, both tried multiple times to contact him with no answer. Monday morning was the day that Brian and Alexis were scheduled to fly to Miami, and when he missed their flight, he was reported missing to the Columbus police. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, so... Now we're going to talk about the investigation, and it is pretty wild. This case gets weird. Obviously, the police started the investigation at the Ugly Tuna. This was the bar that Brian was last seen at. Clearly, that's where you start. Right. Um, The bar actually had security cameras because the crime rate in the area was pretty high. So, um, they were like, great. We got security cameras. We could probably see exactly where he headed. False. Instead of helping them, it actually just makes the whole situation weirder. Which is super fucking weird. It's so weird. Um, So the footage from the front of the Ugly Tuna showed Brian with Clinton Meredith riding the escalator to the bar's main entrance. So the bar is actually a second-level bar. So there's, like, your street-level shop. Mm -hmm. I don't know what was actually there. But you ride the escalator up to the second level, which is where the bar itself was. So the camera shows them riding the escalator to the main entrance of the bar at 1.15 a.m., Just like Clint and Meredith said. The next time Brian is seen on the footage is at 1.55 a.m. He's just outside the bar talking with two women for a brief time. He says goodbye to them, I guess. I mean, I don't think there's any audio, so he, I'm assuming, does some sort of salutations. Yeah, it was ended. It was, the conversation ends, and then he moves off camera. He was apparently moving in the direction of the bar, possibly to re-enter. So, it's important to note here that there were two cameras at the front entrance of the Ugly Tuna. One continuously panned the area. So, one of those that kind of went back and forth continuously in a given area. The other one, I think, was stationary and could be moved manually. So it was really just concentrated on one particular spot. I don't know what this means for how much of the area was covered at any given moment or where blind spots would be, where the cameras wouldn't pick up. Not really sure. Right. About that. So I think that's important to keep in mind as we continue to talk about the camera footage. So this one... 55 a.m. spotting of Brian was the last time he's seen on camera. 
he's not seen on camera leaving the bar a few minutes later when it closed for the night. This is a huge part of the story. Yeah. The fact that after the 155 appearance on the camera, he's not seen on camera again. So that's a, one of the points of this story that people latch on to. Obviously, it's weird. Yeah. So, of course, we're going to talk about this more later, but it's speculated by all the podcasts that cover the story that that 155 scene shows him going back into the bar. But it doesn't show that he actually physically re-enters it, just that he moves off camera in the direction of the entrance of the bar. Right. So all a lot of the theories rest on the idea that he goes into the bar and is never seen leaving. But what if he doesn't actually go back into the bar at all? That could very well be. Because it's one fifty-five. The bar closes at 2. It really doesn't make that much sense for him to go back into the bar. Right. So I don't know. We're going to talk a lot more about that theory and all the others later. But I just wanted to speculate that first because the thought occurred to me as I read all the articles and they were all saying he moves off camera in the direction of the bar entrance instead of saying it captured him re-entering the bar. So I'm like, why do people, why are they so focused on him being in the bar at closing? Mm -hmm. What if he just didn't go back in? Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, back to the investigation. So police came to the conclusion that Brian could have gone back into the bar and changed into different clothes that included a hat and then left the bar unnoticed on the footage. First of all, where did he get the clothes? It would have been pretty obvious if he was hulking around a rucksack full of clothes. I think that's so ridiculous. I think that's the dumbest explanation ever. Like... Sure. Sure. He just finds a random pile of clothes that seem to fit him with a hat. He's like, you know what, I'm gonna change into these clothes. I don't want the cameras to capture me. No. False. False. Uh, They also thought that he could have alternatively left the bar through another exit. There was one other exit from the bar, and it was a service door at the back. This door was not surveilled by cameras and not generally known or used by the public. Um, It also opened onto a construction site at the time, and officers believed that if Brian had used this exit, he would have struggled to navigate the construction site drunk and in the dark. Sure. Um, so after reviewing everything from the Ugly Tuna, police went to other bars near the Ugly Tuna. Duh. Um, they were collecting other security footage because apparently Columbus had more security cameras throughout the city than any other city in Ohio. I don't know what that exactly means for the level of cameras. They put it in there, so it must mean a lot. But I apparently I not like- enough. I feel like Columbus is probably the largest city in Ohio, so it makes sense that it would have the most. Yeah. Duh. Um, Anyway, so it's a pretty decent assumption that Brian should have been caught on other cameras in the area. So police looked at footage from three bars around the Ugly Tuna, but there was no trace of Brian on any of the footage. They went to the three bars around the Ugly Tuna, and Brian is not on any of them. So I wonder if the police went to more than just three other bars to see if there was security footage of Brian on any outside the arena area. At three bars just doesn't seem like enough. No, it doesn't. It's not. I mean, you... You just got done telling me that Ohio has the most security cameras of any city in the state. And you went to three? Yeah. Seems like not enough. <clears throat> um, so, I don't know. Maybe they got footage from other places, but I don't know. Um, anyway, so the investigators fanned out the search, obviously. 
the police with police dogs searched the streets, dumpsters, other waste containers. They asked residents in the area if they'd seen Brian. They handed out flyers with his picture showing the tattoo on his upper right arm of Pearl Jam artwork for the single Alive. It's like a stick figure. Uh, they were distributed widely throughout Columbus. Um, fun fact, I don't know if I actually put this in here, but uh, Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam actually talked about Brian at a concert soon after his disappearance. Aww. Yeah. He, like, I don't know if it was somewhere in Ohio, if it was actually in Columbus or somewhere else, but, yeah, uh, he, I guess, took out a little time of their set and was like, hey, this dude's missing. If you know anything, if you've seen him, call this number. Wow. So, yeah, Pearl Jam out here trying to solve crimes. Another interesting fact about Eddie Vedder is he was also one of the celebrities that backed, uh... Damien Eccles from the West Memphis Three. Really? Yeah. Really advocated for his uh, innocence. So he's a little true crime addict. Yeah. He's a, he's out here doing the doing the things. Let's get him on the show. Eddie. Come on. <laughs> so I think he's like really good friends with Di- Damien Eccles now. Probably. Yeah. Johnny Depp also, I think. Let's get him on the show. <laughs> Ask him what it was like to play Dumbledore and then be fired from... No, he played Grindelwald. Never mind. Damn. Ask him what it was like to play Grindelwald. And get fired from it. Anyway, whatever. Uh, where were we? Now I lost my place. Um, Fuck. Pearl oh, Jam. Yeah. Okay, so police even went so far as to persuade the city of Columbus to allow them to search the sewers for any sign of Brian. Um, the way that this was stated in the article made it seem like it was a struggle to get access to the sewers. I mean, you know how city governments can be. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I just kind of assumed that they would be able to search the sewers without asking. Like, just pull up the man cover and get down there? Yeah. Is that a thing? I would, I feel like they could. I mean, if they can, like, go on high-speed chases... And, like, disregard, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, enter people's homes. I feel like we could go in the sewer if we really wanted to without getting in trouble. Sure. Would we be trespassing? Mm, I don't know. How would we get out of the sewers is the better question. Is there a ladder? Has to be. Has to be a ladder. I mean, how, how else? City people have to get in the sewers, right? Yeah. We could get a ladder. Yeah. We should Not have like an rope. actual, yeah, like a rope, rope ladder, ladder that we throw down. and Yeah. I don't want to be in the sewers, though. No. I think it would be cool to, like, maybe climb down there and, like, climb back up. Yeah. Like, hey, I was just in the sewer. <laughs> I don't want to get into the thick of it. Uh, I feel like that smell would just be on you for a while. Forever. You just always smell like sewer now. <laughs> I come over and I'm like, Dakota, where's Maddie? She's in the, in the sewer. sewer again. She just really likes it down there. She's a rat now. <laughs> That's amazing. Can I be a possum instead of a rat, though? Do po- possums don't get in the sewer, though. No, I don't think they can get down there. <laughs> no, they don't. They have higher standards. They really do. Possums are the coolest. <laughs> okay. Anyway, they didn't find anything in the sewer. P.S. It turned up nothing. So, that would sucks. you like to do a Brian's apartment? I mean, I was just going to wait until subsequent developments. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So, they also went to Brian's apartment. I don't know where in the timeline they went to Brian's apartment, um, but they went there, obviously. His car was still parked outside in the apartment complex parking lot, and nothing inside the apartment to appeared to be amiss. So, there wasn't any obvious signs that he had packed some shit or left any weird notes, you know, there wasn't anything alarming to be found in his apartment. So after searching the area of the ugly tuna for miles in every direction, police began to consider other possibilities besides an accident or foul play. So 
Since Brian's mother had recently died, it was speculated that he may have gone away temporarily to grieve in solitude. However, it wasn't long until it became clear that his disappearance was not temporary. Right. And there were no obvious reasons for him to voluntarily disappear. Um, His family fully maintained that that's not something he would do, which every family says he would never do that. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, though. Yeah. You know? Um, All the people who had seen or spent time with Brian on the night of his disappearance were asked to take polygraphs. This included his father, Randy, Meredith Reed, and his friend, Clint Florence. Randy and Meredith both took and passed their polygraphs, but Clint refused to take one. Of course, Clint's refusal led people to suspect him of being involved. However, he did what any attorney would advise their clients of. Do not take a polygraph and do not speak to investigators without an attorney present, period. Mm -hmm. So, you know. It is what it is. It is what it is. I think in 2006, polygraphs weren't as suspicious to people as they are now. Yeah. Now, you'd be hard-pressed to get someone to take a polygraph about stealing a pack of gum Mm -hmm. at the gas station. So, we are much more suspicious of the polygraph than they were back in 2006. Um, The two women that that Brian is seen on camera talking to uh, weren't identified until later. I'm not sure exactly what later means, but... Uh, (laughs) they spoke about Brian in an interview in 2009. Um, and they said they were never asked to take polygraphs like everyone else who had interaction with him on that night. So that's kind of weird. It's very weird. So, okay, cool. Um, so here's some other like tidbits. Yeah. Everything else from now on is kind of like a tidbit. Yeah. Because that's kind of the story. Yeah, I mean, it really is. So. Um, Alexis called Brian's phone every evening before going to bed for a really long time after his disappearance. And that is so sad. That is really sad. Um, Usually it went to voicemail, but one night in September, it actually rang three times. That's, That's weird. So that's... Six months after. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, I kept calling it to hear... I kept calling it to hear it per- purely because it was one of the best sounds I had ever heard, assuming his voicemail. Mm-hmm. Um, even if no one picked up. She wrote that on her MySpace page. Mm-hmm. Um, singu- Singular, which was Brian's uh, cell phone provider. Hecka old, bro. Yeah. Singular? Yeah. Um, said what Alexis heard may have been due to a computer glitch. A ping from the phone, Brian's phone, was detected at a cell tower in Hilliard, which is 14 miles northwest of Columbus. That's, that's weird. Super weird. The ping is weird. Shouldn't that phone be, like, destroyed? By now, you would think after yeah. you know after like six months, you would think it's it's completely dead. It's not going to. It's ping been anywhere. wet, you it's know. It's been wet, but fourteen miles away from Columbus, that's still a, pinging. That's a jaunt. It's a jaunt, but it's also pretty close. If we're talking about the idea that maybe he disappeared on his own, well, right. Hmm. Huh. Um, the police also received many tips and none of which was. Re- resulted in any breakthroughs in the case shocker shocker um okay we talked about that yep some of the tips they got were possible sightings in michigan texas and even sweden but those weren't useful Mm, cool In 2014, Columbus police said that they were still receiving at least two tips a month on the case um, through the local crime, through the local Crime Stoppers hotline. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, stopper shot line? (laughs) Um, Though none had proven useful at all. 
The evidence in the case filled only four boxes of files, and one of the original investigators, Andre Edwards, told Columbus Monthly that after extensive review of the camera footage at the Ugly Tuna from the night Schaefer disappeared, which was intended to rule out the idea that he could have left in disguise, he could, quote, say with 100% certainty that Schaefer did not leave via the escalator. Um, Police also say that they have three theories about the case, but declined to discuss them even generally with the magazine. Hmm. Which, I mean, that's not a huge shocker, I guess. No. Uh, Randy, Brian's dad, um, who had recently suffered the death of his wife, continued to search for his son on his own, of course. Duh. He consulted with a psychic who told him that Brian's body was in water near a bridge pier. He and Derek, who was Brian's younger brother, along with some other citizens who had become interested in the case, bought waders and spent much of their free time along the shores of the Olentangy River, which flows through Columbus, adjacent to the OSU campus. Hmm. Um, And uh, they would search for the body near bridges. In September of 2008, during a heavy windstorm, Randy was out in the yard of his Baltimore home clearing some debris. A branch flew off from from a nearby tree and fatally struck him. Neighbors found his body the next morning and called police. That's such a freak accident. Yeah. After his obituary ran online, a condolence book was posted. One of the signatures in it said, To Dad, Love, Brian. From the U.S. Virgin Islands. This suggested Mm. that Brian might have left Columbus for a new life. Um, However, upon further investigation, the note was found to have been posted from a computer accessible to the public in Franklin County, and it was determined to be a hoax. That is so fucked up. It's super fucked up. Between Brian's disappearance in 2006 and um, his own death in 2008, Randy had joined the families of other missing adults, and with the help of Crime Stoppers president Kevin Miles in Ohio, in lobbying the state legislator to pass a bill establishing a statewide protocol for such cases. At the time of Brian's disappearance... At the time that Brian disappeared, it was left up to the individual departments on how to handle the cases, and some parents felt that investigations into their relatives' disappearances had suffered as a result. And by the time Randy had died, the bill had become law. I tried to look up what this bill was called and couldn't find it. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was Googling, like, Brian Schaefer's law or Randy Schaefer... Ohio law. It just kept giving me law offices. Oh. So I was like, and then I used Bill and it just, nothing ever came up. I yeah. even put in 2000 and I figured it was probably 2007 mm-hmm. since Brian, or since Randy died in 2008. That's weird. It was weird. So <coughs> I couldn't, uh, couldn't find anything, but I'm assuming what the bill does is just make the way an investigation is conducted consistent across departments. Right. That sounds like what it was doing. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we're going to talk about the theories. First is the theory that Brian left out of the back entrance of the bar into the construction site. This one is pretty popular. So it is speculated that due to the site being difficult to navigate, that Brian fell into a hole somewhere in the construction site and was never found. And then the building was built on top of it. Mm. So he was built into this building. Now, how much of this do I believe? Uh, probably zero. Uh, I feel like, is this possible that this happened? I mean, yeah. Anything's possible. Anything is possible. Is it probable? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, honestly, I feel like 
construction workers would have looked down in the hole before pouring concrete. There would be someone standing there as pour as concrete is being poured. Exactly. There's w- they don't do it. They don't back a truck up and blindly do it. There's more exactly. than one person doing that. Yeah. There's like a a cavalcade of people standing around that hole, watching the concrete flow into it. Yeah. There's just there's just no way. Yeah. Somebody would have seen a man in a hole. Yeah, a full-grown man. Yeah. And if he fell into the hole, maybe the fall knocked him out. Maybe it broke his a couple of his limbs. But he would have woken up at some point between... That was Friday night. I assume by Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon he would have woken up and started yelling for help right and even if no one heard him at that point when construction workers came in on monday brian probably would have still been alive Mm -hmm. and started yelling the construction workers would have would have heard him or seen him i don't think any person on a construction crew would just be so oblivious to not notice a human where it shouldn't be exactly. on their side. Exactly. So that's yeah. how I feel about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This theory does not hold weight. I don't think. And I feel like a lot of times now this, this isn't for certain, but a lot of times there are like security cameras set up on construction sites mm-hmm. because they don't want people trespassing. Right, for safety purposes. Exactly. Yeah, because if someone falls into a hole and fucking breaks their neck, right, they could sue for not having proper, like, uh, fencing around the area. Yeah, and I mean, if these, if they were, like, building buildings, you know, and not just, like, fixing a telephone pole, Mm -hmm. there was probably, like, this was probably a long job. And there's probably, like, a trailer, like, an office trailer. Mm-hmm. So, there, I I don't know. It just, that, I feel like, is not even possible. Yeah, and I feel like getting onto the construction site was probably much more difficult than they make it sound in the theory. Because a lot of them even put up, like, temporary chain link fencing. Yeah, that's, re- a lot of them, like, if you. Like, 10 foot yes, chain link fencing. Especially in a city area. Mm-hmm. around where there's a lot of foot traffic. They'll have really tall fencing and they'll have a tarp on the fence so you can't like look through. Yeah, it's blocked off. It's fully blocked off. So they they the theory of him walking through the construction site is that he was trying to take a shortcut to his apartment mm-hmm. on foot, but he would have spent so much time just trying to breach yeah, the, the barriers. An opening. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't seem likely to me at all. Um, so the next theory is that Brian walked away from his life. This one comes up in every single missing person case ever. This is always a theory. It, obviously, it's always an option. Right. I mean, because, you know, what? maybe. Mm. People are capable of some weird and crazy shit. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So this theory is speculated because Brian was apparently always drawn to like the beach lifestyle. He would regularly tell his friends and family that he would love to live on the beach and play in a band and be carefree. Matthew McConaughey-ing it out here. Don't we all? Yeah. Doesn't everyone want to do that? Yeah. (laughs) That just seems like... That's the easy... We all want that. Except I don't want to live on the beach because I don't like sand. But still. I would love to live a carefree life playing in a band. Absolutely. Sure. Some people think that he left his life to go and live the, this beach life. Um, I don't think this one's it either. No. Um... I feel like he probably could have gone to live at the beach if he wanted to without having to walk away from his family. And he was about to go to the beach. Yeah, he was just about to be in Miami with his fiance. 
or potentially to be fiance. Yeah. Um, now obviously people are going to say, well, he wanted to walk away from his life because of the expectations put on him. He was a medical student. Maybe he felt like he had to be conventionally successful and leaving his medical career to be a, a beach person <laughs> would disappoint his family and his girlfriend, but I still don't buy it. I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't either. I, I mean, because you know what? Your family is going to get over if If your family is disappointed in you for whatever it is, if you leave medical school to live at the beach and give surf lessons and they're disappointed, they'll get over it. Yeah, and if you... If you disappear to start a new life because you're afraid of your family being disappointed in you, you're still going to feel the disappointment that you haven't had to face because you ran away from your life. Yeah, and you're you're not only going to have to deal with the fact that there's disappointment because you can't reveal your life because it would disappoint them. Right. But that disappointment's still a possibility. It's still in your brain. You're still thinking about it. But you also have to deal with the fact that you know that they're in pain mm-hmm. because they don't know where you are and they're worried you're dead. And then you don't get to see them anymore. Right. So you have the pain, too. It's yeah. not worth it. No. It's not. You can get through a couple of months of tension because your family doesn't agree with your choices. Right. But they will get over it eventually. And he was 27. This isn't someone who's, like, 20 years old making really impulsive decisions. 27, you pretty much are making, like, adult decisions. Yeah. You're not out here walking around without a fully developed frontal lobe. That shit developed. Yeah, I just don't... I don't think that any missing person just ran away and started a new life. I've yet to come across a case where I'm like, yeah, they probably did that. Yeah, I I think that the only one that potentially could have made some sense would be Maura Murray because so much shit happened leading up to her disappearance that I could be like, uh, well, I mean, whatever. This is but not one of this those. This is not one of those. No. Absolutely not. So, again, debunked. Now... Another one is foul play. Duh. Maybe he was walking back to his apartment. Someone pulled up beside him and snatched him into a car and drove off. Duh. This is, again, also always a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, some like to say that the smiley-faced killer, or killers, because we don't know, uh, as the possible perpetrators. So the smiley-faced killer, or killers, was an... A name given to a series of murders by a group of investigators who believe that the suspect or suspects went after college-aged young white men who were out drinking with friends. These men would then be found, it says lifeless, dead, near smiley face graffiti, hence the nickname. So, they were typically drowned in bodies of water. So... Brian was a young, white, college male. So he was fit the M.O. of the the victim. Yeah. But that's the only... That's the only link, is that he was a young, white dude in college. (laughs) So I don't don't know about the smiley face killer thing. Because his remains haven't been found, and there's no smiley faces in Columbus. Right. So, I don't know. But um, that's essentially what the True Crime Times blog on Medium says. um, Because there was was no reports that he was being stalked or followed. That he was being targeted. There aren't any smiley faces anywhere. So, it's not really likely. Yeah. Um, Let's see. One... Another foul play theory is that Brian had become friendly with the band that played at the Ugly Tuna. Brian had an interest in bands. Obviously, he really liked Pearl Jam. He wanted to dis- he wanted to move to the beach and play in a band. So 
the idea of him befriending the band that played at the Ugly Tuna is not far-fetched. Um, and on the night that he disappeared, it kind of says that he had not realized that the front door was closed and left through the emergency exit with the band and the staff. And um, because the bar was located in a dangerous part of Columbus, Brian might have met with foul play after opting to walk home by himself. Okay. So I have also heard that um, some people talk about maybe the band is responsible for his death. Like some people in the band killed him. Okay. Sure. I don't know. So we're just throwing out anything at this point, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, I don't know about that. Um, the, there's also a theory of accidental death that's not the construction site. Because right. I think the construction site would also be accidental death. Duh. Absolutely. But the accidental death theory says that since Brian was not seen leaving the bar, some speculate that he died inside the bar as a result of an accident. And out of fear of a lawsuit, bar staff disposed of his body in some way, either in the construction site or by some other means. I mean, I could see this happening in some, like, fucking backwoods-ass town. Right. I don't see people who are used to being in the city, let alone working in the city. Mm-hmm. Would be, like, scared enough to be, like, uh, some fucking guy just died in our bar? Yeah. Like, I don't think the police are instantly going to be, like, y'all did it. Right. I don't believe that for one second. No. No. The ax- Him, if he died in the bar as a re- result of some accident, I feel like the bar staff would have just called police. Absolutely. Because someone dying someone accidentally dying while being drunk Mm -hmm. is not like so fucking wild and hard to believe no it's not absolutely not i mean i'm sure it has happened in multiple occasions in bars where someone is drunk trips and like falls weird on their neck and just dies right you know million dollar baby style so you know i don't know i I just think that the accident part is not plausible. But I do think if you looked at this same theory in the idea of one of the bar staff maybe accidentally killing him in some way. Yeah. Or just killing him for something. Maybe maybe they were at the back entrance doing some sort of major drug deal, Brian stumbles out there, sees it, and then they kill him. Could be. That makes a little more sense than him accidentally dying in the bar and them being like, well, guess we're going to have to fucking bury him now. Yeah. I feel like if that were the case, though, like, unless he was, like, just strangled to death or something, mm-hmm. there would be some type of, like, something around yeah. Yeah. evidence, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Sure. Yeah. You would think. You would think. Um, <clears throat> uh, obviously, suicide is out there. Suicide's a theory out there. Um, they say that maybe he wasn't coping as well as people thought with his mother's death and that he went out and took his own life out of grief. I believe that almost more than I believe the other theories. Other than, like, foul play. Yeah. I feel like he was drunk, you know, he hadn't been dealing with it well. True. But where's his body then? I don't know. I mean, if people die in water, I feel like sometimes it is almost impossible to recover it, you know? Maybe. I don't know. This, I don't know. I just don't think... if If he was drunk and then committed suicide... He's not in the right, a, a state of mind enough to do it in a way where people wouldn't find him. Right. I'm just saying I would believe that over than, like, 
accidentally dying in a bar, bar staff throws him in construction site, he gets covered by concrete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that has a lot of plot holes in it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously a suicide. Now, Clint, one of the last people to see Brian, and he also stands out because he refused to take the polygraph. So The Lantern is a publication, and in April of 2009, a private investigator by the name of Don Corbett told The Lantern that Florence, through his attorney, was still against the idea of taking a polygraph as of September 2008. So the lawyer for Clint, his name's Neil Rosenberg, seemed to blame Schaefer for the distress his loved ones were feeling because of his disappearance. And he said, quote, if Brian is alive, which is what I am led to believe after speaking with the detective involved, then it is Brian and not Clint who is causing his family pain and hardship. Brian should come forward and end this, end quote. Um, So that is an email sent by attorney Rosenberg to private investigator Don Corbett on September 22nd of 2008. So um, I don't really believe that Clint is responsible. I don't think he like killed Brian. No. If he was responsible and killed Brian or whatever, then obviously Meredith would have seen something suspicious or been involved somehow. Because her, Meredith and Clint were together the whole time. Yeah. After Brian disappears off camera. Right. So she would have had to have either seen something or been involved if Clint was responsible. Not that that's not possible, but I don't think it's likely. Right. But there is speculation that Brian wanted to do the new life thing and that Clint knew about that and either helped Brian achieve this or knew what Brian was doing and where he was going. Could be. And that that's why he doesn't want to take the polygraph. Right. Because he knows where Brian is or knows what Brian, that Brian just ran away. And that would definitely be a question that they would ask. Of course. Do you know where Brian is? Yeah. So that's, that's a, a theory and they you know i feel like that holds some weight could be i might be inclined to believe that one yeah that's a fun thing to think about yeah i mean do i think it's likely that brian walked away from his life i don't know i don't know brian but i don't feel like it i don't know but the clint thing maybe this is one where we just don't know we just simply do not know So, today, Brian's remaining family pretty much consists of his younger brother, who is still searching for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Hope did come briefly in 2020 when a photo of what looked like an American man who was homeless in Tijuana, Mexico, um, came about, who bore an uncanny resemblance to Brian. It went, like, viral. After rigorous facial analysis, the FBI determined that it was not Brian. Hmm. Um, facial recognition technology is fairly advanced, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe someone should have actually gone to this location and, you know, yeah, done some searching. Yes. Uh, took a photo around and be like, you see this man? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah, uh, even when it comes to like face, you know, face ID with your iPhone, if you're laying at an angle, it's like, mm, is that you? Yeah. Or if, you know, your hood is up, mm-hmm. it's like, mm, I don't think that's you. Yeah. Go ahead and put in your password. Exactly. So. Yeah, I mean, listen, just take a jaunt down to Tijuana, swab this dude's cheek, lay it to rest. Yeah. 
fully verify. Don't just put his picture in a computer program and be like, you know what? It's not him. Yeah. I feel like that was a miss. Such a miss. Brian's in Tijuana. Yeah. If he is still alive, he would be 42 now. Which is much different than 27. Much different. First of all. Much different. The Ohio Bureau of (laughs) Criminal Investigation released a digital mock-up of his face to reflect that age progression um, in hopes that someone might be like, yo, I've seen that dude. Right. Are these accurate, though? I don't, they feel weird to me. Because I've seen a few, like, <laughs> obviously the Jean Benet Ramsey one. All right. She was six, and, you know, it just, there's no way to know what a six-year-old person is going to grow up to look like. No. I just don't think you can know. And you honestly, like, I bet with his, you know, 27 to 42, like, some wrinkles. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little weight gain, you know? Yeah. It's probably not that much different. Yeah. I don't... I mean, if he's in Tijuana, then the sun exposure, he's probably pretty wrinkly. Could more be. More wrinkly than your average 42-year-old person. Yeah. I don't know. I just... I don't trust age progression pictures. I don't either. Because when you're looking at them side by side, like, person, age progression, you're mm-hmm. like... I don't think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. We're going to investigate this. First, we're going to take a picture of ourselves. And then we're going to have it age progressed. And then yeah. in 15 years, we'll come back and say, nope, <laughs> it didn't we'll work. Put, we'll put them in a time capsule. <laughs> this is the long game here we're playing. Um, so if... Anyone has information about his case, um, you can call the Columbus Division of Police at 614-645-2358. If you do, the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers have a $100,000 reward that's been offered. So, do the right thing. Yeah. If you've seen Brian just out there chilling, maybe have a conversation with him. Yeah. What you really should do in order to really know is you just catch him off guard and be like, hey, what's up, Brian? And if he answers you, I'd be like, fuck. Yeah. It's Brian. I knew it. Mr. Schaefer? (laughs) Yeah. What? That happens on a movie somewhere. Oh, they know that this person is, like, impersonating someone else. They're just like, hey, whoever. And they're like, yeah, fuck. I don't remember. It's like a, a spy movie, like a spoof spy movie, I It's think. a good approach to take. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's Brian Schaefer. Yeah, that's the whole story. We would also like to know what y'all think about that. Yes. What theories stand out to you the most? Let us know. Um, you can do that by DMing us on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook mm-hmm. or by email. Yep. All those avenues we will see and respond to you. Yeah. Guaranteed. So just, just, just do it. It would be great. Damn, dude. I know. Okay, so that's that's all. Um, let us know what you think. Yeah. Uh, I think Brian's in Tijuana. So we'll be taking a trip to Tijuana this summer. Ooh, field trip. To search for Brian. Oh, yes. If anyone would like to donate to our cause, um, you know, give, give us some good... Uh, food recommendations for down there instead of money that's right tell us where to eat in tijuana and then whenever we get down there we're just gonna be like what's up brian yeah how's it hanging you want to go you want to go grab some yeah tamales with us and then you know we're gonna call the fbi on the down low like excuse me sir your facial recognition is shit we have brian we're here yeah we're eating some tacos salt boom salt 
We're having margs, eating tacos. That's right. Um, we are going to hit the beach later. Yeah. We just wanted to let you know he is fine and to leave him the fuck alone. Yeah. He wants to stay here. Yeah. So and we also do. We're not going to make him leave, but we just want you to know, you should have fucking come down here in 2020. Yeah. Idiots. Fucking idiots. Ariel, Haley, thank you for all that you do. We are forever in your debt. And you're invited to come with us to Tijuana. Yes. So, there you go. We'll see ya. We'll see ya on the beach. Um, bring the sunblock because, woof. Yeah. I'm gonna hate it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the hot, the sun, the sand, blech. No. <laughs> We're going strictly for Brian and the food. That's right. The food, yes. Everything else? No, thank you. No. Everyone else, everyone else on the earth just loves the idea of the sun and the feet in the sand. And I'm like... And just being fucking miserable. Yeah. You're just sweating. You just like that? Your your skin's just all sticking together? Yeah. Ugh. I don't understand. You're leaving extra DNA everywhere. Just the sweat. Ugh. I can't. No. No, thank you. Anyway, so we're going to sign off on that note. And um, please, for the love of God, be kind to each other. Stay weird. Okay, goodbye. Bye.